Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers unimpressively dominated the Kansas City Chiefs last night by a final score of 38-28. to And when I say unimpressively, I say that they are so dominant right now that it doesn't even seem special. Um, obviously, they were very impressive last night, and we'll talk about many of the things there. But, Matt, this game was scary going into it for me like not not that I was that worried uh, about what could happen but definitely acknowledging that the Chiefs were good enough to potentially beat them and about two drives in I was like no this is over this Packer team is a cut above almost everybody but the New England Patriots right now right yeah going into this game I was I was actually pretty scared just because of what we've seen against teams like this in the past with the really good pass rush and how it can kind of shut down our offense but it seems like uh, you know, we're seeing some things, you know, the defense looked pretty good at first, but I th- it seems like we're seeing out of Aaron Rodgers maybe a little bit more than we've seen before, too. This seems like maybe the kind of game in the past where the offense maybe puts up 17 points or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, it's just completely different now, and, and I don't know if it's the play calling. It has a lot to do with Rodgers, but it, it does seem like there's something different going on right now. Yeah, I've never seen someone so in control of an offense before. And we've seen a lot of football, and I've seen a lot of great quarterbacks retroactively, and it it doesn't look hard. It looks like he's running the scout team in seven on or nine on seven drills. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and they were running the same play over and over again, and they just couldn't be stopped. And just with the different little variations, and it was crazy. It was it was a fairly basic offense they ran last night because that's all they had to do because he was just torching them. Yeah, and. He had 24 completions on 35 attempts, 333 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. And it wasn't even that impressive because we're just so used to how good he is. He's now got 150,000 touchdowns to zero interceptions in his last how many games at Lambeau Field or, or whatever it is. It's like 38 touchdowns or something in his last 19 games at Lambeau without an interception. And he's got 10 touchdowns on the season with no interceptions. It, it's just ridiculous. I I don't know if I could put up those numbers on Madden on easy. Yeah, it, it's really crazy what he's doing right now, and it just seems like maybe more this year, and he has looked really impressive, maybe more so than he has before, but I think with the fact that maybe we're only seeing one other real elite quarterback in the NFL right now, mm-hmm. as opposed to in the past where there was you know maybe five and a, a handful of like ten guys who were all doing it pretty close, it just seems like what he's doing right now is so much better than anybody else, and Brady's close, but mm-hmm. just watching week to week and watching the Red Zone channel and watching these games, how far behind everybody else is from what he's doing. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers kind of is ruining football for me right now. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. But watching all the other teams on Sunday, you know, the Packers being on Monday, you get a, kind of a chance to relax and just watch everybody else. Even quarterbacks who were winning and playing well, they just look bad when yeah. you're used to watching Aaron Rodgers all the time. Yeah. Um, other than Tom Brady, it, somebody pointed out last week, and uh, I was able to watch Brady somewhat this week, that he just has no fear when the pocket is collapsing around him. It's it's such these small, subtle movements, but they're so effortless. He doesn't almost need the Rodgers escapability because he finds space just kind of bobbing and weaving back and forth. So Brady is, is playing great as well. He's got nine touchdowns and no picks, but everybody else just looks average. It's like watching college quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and that might be the one thing that Brady has left that he's probably a little bit better at than Rodgers is it seems like Rodgers kind of panics a little bit, and or maybe it's just different forms of escapability in the pocket as he kind of runs around and, and circles a little bit and does the shovel pass things where Brady kind of has more of the far movement where they're just mm-hmm. really good at just taking a small step here and there to get out of the harm's way. Yeah, it's like and, a basketball pivot almost. Yeah, yeah, where Rodgers appears to be getting get a little flustered. Maybe that's not it. It's just the way he handles it a little bit differently, but um, it, it works for him, I guess. Yeah, I determined last night that if I were not a Packer fan, Aaron Rodgers would drive me insane with how good he is at forcing offside penalties and somehow being able to count the number of people on the field even when they're not in yeah, his field great. of vision. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is if you're not a Packer fan, that has to be 50 times more annoying than Russell Wilson throwing the ball away every time he's under a teeny tiny amount of pressure. But yeah. it, it's it's smart. It feels a little bit like gamesmanship and, you know, not cheating, but not in the spirit of how the game is supposed to be played. But it's effective. But gosh, if I wasn't a Packer fan, it would drive me nuts. 
Well, why wouldn't you do that stuff? I mean, if yeah. you're if you're catching guys on the field, there's absolutely no reason not to. I think the only reason that he's doing it and other people aren't is because it's so hard to be that aware when you're calling a play, getting to the line, checking your own guys, making sure everything's set, but still notice that they've got a guy running off the field slowly <laughs> yeah. and, and just get a quick snap off. I mean, that's crazy. And for the Chiefs, too, it sounds like they practice all week for the hard count and then to still jump on a few of them. <laughs> it just tells you how good it is. No matter how much you see it coming, you can't stop from having somebody on your defensive line hop across yeah i don't even know how you would practice for that it seems like a waste of time like you could bring it up in meetings perhaps but yeah it's such a reactionary thing i don't i mean it would be like let's practice for not flinching when i you know squirt water in your eye you know it's (laughs) it's so it's beyond your mind's ability to control it i think well, and I think that could be something really big here because even if they don't do it as much the rest of the season, they've set this precedent against teams which we primarily struggle against good pass rushing teams. So if you basically they have to stop trying to jump the snap uh, and, you, and you could slow them down a little bit, that could be a big benefit for them going forward this year. Just to, you constantly have that in the back of your mind, and he's always been so good at it, but he's just killing people with it this year. Yeah, and and you bring up a really good point because that can give him an extra half step without having to do anything that's related yeah. to an actual play. You can almost get in their head and and take care of it that way. Mm-hmm. One thing that stood out to me last night is the Packers still don't have any kind of deep threat. They did have a 52-yard pass to James Jones, but that was almost entirely run after the catch. Uh, Randall Cobb had a long of 29. Uh, James Starks and Eddie Lacy each had long-ish catches but they're you know running backs out of the backfield to me this offense is what the 2012 offense would have looked like had they had Eddie Lacy or a running back there is so much respect for the Packers running game and it's so effective right now that they don't have a deep threat just like 2012 but unlike 2012 they can run the ball and so they're able to pound it, and then make those short throws and have them be successful. I don't know if that is sustainable for all season. I also think that eventually somebody's going to emerge as a deep threat. But it's just interesting how this offense is as effective as we've seen with Rodgers and McCarthy, but it's quite a bit different. Yeah, and really they're running a very Patriot-like offense right now where it's just all the dink and dunk where – you, you know, you're definitely missing Jordy with the, the threat over the top, but you would hope, you know, Devontae hasn't looked great this year, but he's been so hurt that, it, you know, when he comes back, if he can come back healthy, that he could be that guy. Uh, maybe a guy with, like Ty Montgomery, who's got great athleticism, maybe just isn't quite the polished receiver yet. If he can get uh, get going a little bit, he could maybe be that guy with his speed, too. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the offense is working, and I think it'll continue to work, but it, it is kind of a hindrance if you don't have that guy. But we've seen offenses be successful in the past without it, too, so mm-hmm. I think they could still manage. Yeah, they tried to take that shot with Janice, so maybe just to get something on film that, hey, we're yeah. willing to, to take a bomb to this guy. I, I'm wondering about Devontae Adams, and I know, I know he's injured and he had a nice season, but he's being treated like he's the unquestioned starter, and I know he's injured, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. Ty Montgomery did a little bit yesterday, but I thought he was solid. He was good against Seattle. And let's not pretend like Devontae Adams was Randy Moss last year. I mean, he had 446 yards. Jared Boykin had almost 300 more than that the year before. So he had a nice season. He's a unique matchup. But if he can't stay healthy, and even when he is out there, him and Rodgers still don't have quite the chemistry that he has with some of these other guys and that he seems to be building with guys like Richard Rodgers and even Ty Montgomery not a doom and gloom thing by any means, but I don't know if it's certain that Devontae Adams has to be a big part of this offense. Yeah, and I've been a little concerned about that too the last couple of weeks. And again, he's injured, so you don't know how much exactly that's affecting it. But we've seen he and Rodgers just being a little bit off since week one before he was real banged up too. Mm-hmm. It's just the back shoulders aren't there, the, the specific routes aren't there. And on the one where he he missed a back shoulder again to begin the drive, and then on that second route where it looked like he that's where he got hurt. Mm-hmm. But still, it looked, he wasn't even in the right spot either. Um, yeah, it's a little, a little concerning. He's he's just got such great athleticism. He looked so good at the end of last year. I I think he will come back um, to kind of what we're expecting. And we heard all off season about how great he looked. Yeah. So it. It's hard after three games and with an injury to really say, like, man, this hasn't quite been what we expected. And, and who knows? I mean, this is something that could last all year for an injury, so maybe we don't see it at all. But mm-hmm. I, I sure would like to see him get back and get a shot to be the explosive player we think he can be. 
Yeah, and, and they're going to be patient with him. He's still a second-round yeah. pick and whatnot. But if they find that Ty Montgomery's working, I think they'll just run with him. He, Ty, or, um, Devontae Adams is not Greg Jennings or Jordy Nelson or somebody who's had some monster seasons. He had, right. he had you know, 400, 400 yards last year. Last year yeah. yeah, so uh, we'll see what that happens. I'm certainly not giving up on Devontae Adams or anything like that. It, it just was a thought that occurred to me that if they don't need him, they'll move on without him, and I don't think they'll look back. Well, James Jones, once again, had a, a great game. Seven catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown. Randall Cobb, seven catches, 91 yards, and three touchdowns. That guy's just a touchdown machine. Uh, I don't know what's left to say about both of these guys. Uh, James Jones especially just came right back in like he had never left. Randall Cobb and, and Rodgers have a great chemistry, too. I like what you said about Patriot-like. It just looked so much like what the New England Patriots do, and it, I, I don't know. It, it just was super efficient and it seemed too easy. It, it did. And that Kansas City Chiefs secondary isn't great, but I mean, they made them look amateur. And I've never seen either by an offense or especially even by an announcing crew seen a defensive back get exposed the way that that Tyvon <laughs> yeah. Branch guy did last night. I felt so bad for him. Yeah. After every single play they were showing him, but Rodgers was specifically targeting him and, and rightfully so because they just roasted him all night long. I'd be curious to see how many catches he had against him. It had to be at least like two-thirds of their completions. Yeah, it, it was a lot. But, I mean, yeah, they, it looked effortless. It looked way too easy, running similar routes over and over and over again, and they just couldn't stop it at all. It has a lot to do with Rodgers, but, um, you know, Cobb has been awesome, and, and James Jones has obviously just been – it's almost – it seems unfair that you get to pick up a guy that two other teams quit on, and he looks like one of the best receivers <laughs> in the NFL through three weeks. Yeah, there's something to be said about being home somewhere that you're used to. It's yeah, it's something else. So Eddie Lacy was okay for an injury, 4.6 yards a carry yeah. at a 13 yarder. Um, not a lot in the running game. They ended up with 32 rushes for 123 yards, but it certainly was effective enough to make everything else work. And they were, towards the end of the game, they kept throwing and throwing. And I'm like, man, I kind of wish they would run off the clock a little bit here because you, you wind up in a situation like they did where it at least got kind of closer at the end. Mm-hmm. But it was so easy for them that that was probably the most effective way to run out the clock is because they couldn't stop Rodgers at all. So they had a couple of drives that stalled at the end where the clock stopped. But they probably just assumed, why not keep throwing it? They can't stop it. Let's just run out the clock this way. So that's why that's how Rodgers ends up getting five touchdown passes, even though they were up a few <laughs> scores already. Yeah, and and that's fine. I guess you got to do what you have to do, but I don't know. Let's let's switch to the defense. So there seem to be some people that are concerned about how Kansas City came back. I've made it very clear throughout the history of Green and Gold Forever that garbage time frustrates me in an, a way that is completely unreasonable. But I can't stand garbage time touchdowns. It just it almost feels like it ruins the game at the end. But I'm. Me, personally, I'm not that worried. During the actual competitive phase of the game, they were dominant. They had what? Uh, I'm trying to add them up real quick. They had seven sacks, I think. Um, They had two from Clay, a sack and a half from Mike Daniels, another one from J. Ron Elliott. Nick Perry had one. Um, Joe Thomas even had one. And they they pressured Alex Smith. Uh, He didn't look very good at all. They had an interception. I thought the young secondary held up. Now, granted, this is not the greatest show on turf Rams, but they've been pretty decent the first two games of the season. And up until it didn't matter anymore, the Packers kept them completely in check. Yeah, they looked awesome in that first half. And some of the guys you mentioned, Clay and J. Rohn and Mike Daniels especially, had just insanely good games last night. If they can keep that going, they're going to be really good throughout the year. I, I guess I wouldn't say I'm I'm extremely concerned, but there were some things. I mean, you still had your starters out there, and you could not get off the field there for a couple of a uh, couple of possessions for yeah. the Chiefs. Um, the secondary got worked a little bit at the end there, and it's not like they were going down the field big time. But you know, Jamal Charles started gashing them. Kelsey or uh, uh, yeah, that's right, Ke- Travis um, Kelsey. Yeah, Travis Kelsey kept gashing him. Macklin exploded oh, in the yeah, second half too. So I, it, I guess it's a little concerning. It just reminded me a little bit too much of what we saw in the Seattle game last year. Mm-hmm. And had you played maybe a little bit better offense, it, there's a chance that that game could have been on the line there at the end, and it still was, um, even though it was two scores away. So it, it was a little concerning. I'm not worried yet. I'm, I like what the defense looked like, like you said, in the competitive phase, mm-hmm. but I, I hate to see that at the end. It kind of ruined how I was feeling about the defense. Yeah, I agree to some extent, but we've seen a lot of teams do that. I mean, when you just get a giant lead at home, and especially against an offense that isn't 
that you're not expecting to be able to be that explosive. I think it's human nature to just kind of take your foot off the gas. Plus, in their defense, when you hold a team to 16 yards on 4th and 18, you shouldn't expect it to be a first down. Right, yeah. I was so mad at that. I, the, the Jason Witten one in the playoffs last year was worse because it was so obvious, but uh, that, it's unbelievable. I don't know how that could happen. I don't know how they missed that one either. Yeah, and that cost me a fantasy game too because Jamal Charles <laughs> scored a touchdown after that, so I was like double mad about that. But I was like, I turned away after the play. I was like, oh, nice, turnover on downs, game over. And then I turned around and the Chiefs were running a play again. And it's, oh. I was so confused. And then the Packers had no timeouts left at that point, right? So they couldn't challenge or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, that was ridiculous. It wasn't even close. I don't know what they would have possibly thought that. And, and they marked it just past the first down marker too, didn't they? So it's not like they didn't think he got touched. It was just very confusing. It's a conspiracy. They hate the yeah, Packers. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. No, I just think they just don't care. I mean, these they probably are over-reliant on the instant replay and then they realized that McCarthy was out of challenges, and they probably collectively went, oh, crap, you know, we screwed up big time. Yeah. But it, it it has felt like for years that they are over-reliant on the challenges, and they also will do anything to continue the pace of the game. They don't want stoppages. And uh, as I've said many times on this show, if there's any referee conspiracy, it's that the NFL said this game has to be three hours long. Do anything sure. you can to get it over with. Yeah. And I, I think they wanted that clock running. Yeah, it makes sense, especially in a game that looked like it was over. They just keep it rolling. Yeah, definitely. Jamal Charles was okay. Um, he didn't really have a chance to do much of anything. 11 carries for 49 yards, which is a pretty big average. But his longest run was only 13 yards. He did score three touchdowns, but pretty much kept him completely in check. You can't pretty much keep someone completely in check, but they kept him in check is what I'm trying to say. They did have the bomb to Macklin. Travis Kelsey looks like he might be a force. Alex Smith is so bad. Like, I know he he's probably better than a lot of quarterbacks in the league, but ugh, I hate his style of play. I think it was um, Scott. I can't remember how to say his last name, but Scott Casimir. He he worked for Pro Football Reference for a while. He's mm-hmm. he's written for uh, Cold Hard Football Facts. He made a stat: how far the ball travels in the air in relationship to the sticks on third down. And the average Alex Smith pass goes 11 yards short of the first down sticks. <laughs> and it's by far the worst in the league. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It, and it's weird, too, because it's, I don't know if, it, it can't be the coaching, because we haven't seen this from Reed quarterbacks in the past, really. And, and it's something yeah. that he's done at on former teams. But it, it's like when they open it up in, in the fourth quarter, he can do it. He's capable of making big throws. It's just there's something weird about him, and he's always been that way, that he just he refuses to throw anything other than like a check down when yeah. the game's on the line. And you can see that by the record of the whatever ended up being 18 games without a touchdown to a receiver. Yeah. I mean, there's really, really bad quarterbacks that wouldn't have let that happen. It's just some weird mindset. or I, I can't explain it if it's a game plan or just him that just doesn't want to do it. Yeah, and it certainly can't be, like you said, it can't be Andy Reid. I know they run a variation of the West Coast offense, but that's what the Packers run. And when in, in its purest form with Montana and Young and Favre, those guys had one of the highest yards per carry or yards per attempt averages in the league. I mean, yeah. they were mad bombers. Donovan McNabb certainly wasn't a dink and dunk guy. You know, he was a down-the-field passer, so I, I don't know. Is he just that terrified to throw interceptions? Or I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Yeah, and it. It's got to be frustrating it for a coach if they're not the ones, you know, forcing him to do this. That if you have a quarterback that you've got all these nice routes down the field and refuses to throw anything further than five yards, it really hampers your offense. So mm-hmm. it's it's weird that you don't really hear either way. You know, if if it's Smith saying this is what we're running, this is the play call, or you don't hear a coach saying, you know, we really got to take some more shots down the field. Yeah, it's just he always seems to get a pass on it, and people obviously realize it now. But it's nobody really criticizes him that much for it, other than you know fans of the game. But the mm-hmm. national media, you don't hear much about it. No, not really. They had that that drive. I think that got him to twenty eight was their hurry up offense, and it took him seventeen plays to score. <laughs> so maybe that's why the defense didn't really take him yeah. all that seriously towards yeah, the end. True. So I don't have a lot more to say about this game. They finally beat the Chiefs at Lambeau Field for the first time in franchise history, which is kind of a shock. They haven't played there very often and hadn't played there in 12 years for a scheduling rotation reason that I still don't quite understand. The Packers had 448 total yards to 326 for the Kansas City Chiefs. They dominated time of possession. I don't know. It just was an all-around solid effort and another sign that this Packer team is really, really good. And I really think their only foe uh, in the NFC is 
whether or not their own guys get injured. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll still throw Seattle in there for right now, but yeah, uh, but yeah, you're right. If we can stay healthy, the rest of the prime pieces can stay healthy. There's uh, really only one potential team I think that matches up with them. I didn't. I wasn't that impressed with Seattle on Sunday. I know they beat the Bears. They beat them 26 to nothing, and the Bears punted on every single possession. But I just think that's a bad offense. Yeah, I don't know. I, they were kind of slow to start the year last year too, and then look where they wound up. I just think that defense is too good. You've got pretty much the same offense, and plus Jimmy Graham. I I think it might take some time, but they're going to get around. I'm pretty sure they're going to be back to what they were. Yeah, but just to see the Bears are so bad off offensively, and to <laughs> yeah. see, yeah, I mean. We'll see. I think Seattle is going to get better, and if they ever do figure out how to use Jimmy Graham, it will be scary for everyone else. And they're certainly there. And I used the analogy on Twitter. I didn't get a chance to really explain it that well. But right now they remind me a lot of the 1996 Cowboys where you feel like they might be the best team in the NFL, but they're just so dysfunctional and weird. And if you look at the 96 Cowboys, they ended up going 10-6, and and they won their division, but they – killed the Packers, and they beat San Francisco, who was really good. They beat the Patriots, who went to the Super Bowl. They crushed the Dolphins when they were the best team in the AFC. They beat a whole bunch of other playoff teams, and then they'd lose to, like, the Giants and some other <laughs> really bad teams and kind of limp their way to 10-6. To and six. And I could see this Seattle team doing that, where they could blow the doors off of Arizona twice and beat some other really good teams, and then they'll lose to the Rams, and they'll lose to Detroit. I, I don't think they're going to lose to Detroit, but those types of teams, teams that aren't very good, they'll lose sure. to San Francisco, you know, that stuff. beat them in the divisional round right away and knock them out. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, which is what uh, happened to Dallas that year. So, yeah, I don't know. They still have a lot of talent there, and they're still pretty scary, but I don't know. It, there's a lot of season left, but I, I like the Packers' chances as we speak. Sure. Okay, so the other thing that was very disturbing, the Packers were great in almost every area yesterday, but apparently, and I, I didn't even see this, I didn't notice it, I was too busy watching other parts of the game, Ted Thompson has a terrifying clapping technique. <laughs> yes. Uh, you told me that, and instantly, uh, Caleb Pike, another one of our great listeners, texted me at literally the exact same time, complaining about how disturbed they were by Ted Thompson's clapping. Yeah, how does a person get through life clapping like that? And maybe <laughs> most people who are listening probably didn't even notice it because it's just weird uh, people noticing stupid stuff. But <laughs> it was completely like – it's hard to almost explain without a visual, but completely parallel hands like lined up finger to finger where <laughs> most people go at a slight angle where you kind of like clasp your palms together. But he, it was like a – like you said, Caleb said, it was like a baby or an infant. <laughs> just like, see something it's like. Just slapping his hands perfectly together it was really strange. And he's got his weird Ted Thompson look on his face too with the bulging eyes, so it was really creepy. I'm going to have to consult the tape on that one. i got to yeah. see this one in action. <laughs> yeah, if you've got the game taped, I recommend everybody go back and watch it. Unfortunately, I don't remember exactly what part it was. I think it was in the third quarter or something. But Yeah, I think that was it somewhere in that time period. Yeah, so we'll have to look at that. The Packers must get that corrected. They cannot be yeah. winning games and having that disturbing clapping taking place. It will ruin everything. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have, real quickly, a what-if that I discovered while I was researching some old Packer news, and many of you have asked what happened to What If, so What If is back, and we'll do a quick one. What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. And Mikowski appears hurt. Oh, uh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if? So that signifies the beginning of What If. We haven't done one for a while, so if you're newer to the show, a What If segment is where we take a moment in Packers history, we change it, and then we debate the ramifications from that point forward. And last week I was reading some old newspaper articles about different NFL things, and I stumbled upon the day that they traded for Brett Favre, and I got to read about some of the thoughts on him, and it was fun to see how Favre was very confident in saying how he would be good. Um, Holmgren excited to get him, but still saying that it was Don Mikowski's team and whatnot. And I stumbled upon a part of uh, the article that said 
Ron Wolf basically traded for Brett Favre because not not solely because there's the story that Ron Wolf had wanted Brett Favre in New New York, but the reason they finally decided to pull the trigger on Brett Favre is because Rick Meyer, the Notre Dame quarterback and famous bust, had decided to stay in college for another year. The Packers had the fourth pick in the draft. They were really the only team that was in that top part of the draft that was looking to get a quarterback. Had they not traded for Favre, they would have had a second first-round pick that they could have used to get up higher if they needed to. And this, they made it sound in this newspaper article from Ron Wolf that had Rick Meyer decided to declare for the 1992 draft that the Packers might have or would have gone up to select him. So that's the first of two alternate quarterback scenarios that we want to talk about. Matt, do you want to take a stab at this one first? Sure. I, I think this one is, I know there's a second part to it, but I think this one is fairly easy because if you end up taking Rick Meyer, he's... I think he probably plays a little bit better under a Packers system with with Mike Holmgren, somebody who is really good at developing quarterbacks and working with them. So he's coming into a much better situation than he did in Seattle. But I mean, there's with the roster we had around Brett, I don't think there's any way Rick Meyer could have carried this team to nearly what it was. And I think that's pretty obvious. You probably don't <laughs> yeah. win some Super Bowls. Um, I'm just trying to think of kind of where they go. You know, they could maybe be a middling like wild card team somebody who's constantly around eight and eight nine and seven but he was not good and it's not like seattle was the only place he got a shot he bounced around a little bit and was just pretty much bad everywhere yeah and, and didn't really even come close to cracking the starting lineups when he was a backup elsewhere too so mm-hmm. i think he just was pretty bad and I, I don't think it was just the situation he's at so if that happens i i think you completely remove what happened in the 90s and you're probably not talking about mike holmgren in the same light you are today um yeah, so so Reggie came in '93, right? Yes, it was his first year. So I I wonder if that probably doesn't affect that too much. I think he probably still comes there. Uh, I don't know because but, I mean he yeah. didn't come base. I mean maybe you see a promising Brett Favre, but at that point you think you know you've got a promising Rick Meyer after just a rookie year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it's not like Brett Favre playing decent in '92 was one of the huge reasons he came. It was definitely a benefit, but I mean, he definitely liked the money, too. Well, and and that's the one thing that he never really talked about, is that the money was probably the reason he came here. The Packers offered him more than anything else, but uh, I think Rick Meyer did win Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year in 1993, but looking at his statistics, 67 passer rating, 12 touchdowns, 17 picks. He did go 6-10, and 10, which was better than Drew Bledsoe. I think that if Rick Meyer is a Packer, it's an absolute disaster. They had no running game at all back then. They would have had Daryl Thompson and Vince Workman, and they had nothing but the passing game. It would have been as bad as any of those Infante teams, I think. And one of the reasons that Reggie commonly cited for coming to Lambeau, or coming to Green Bay, and again, this is easy to say retroactively, but he said because of Brett Favre's guttiness in defeating the Eagles in 1992, where Brett had a separated shoulder, played rough, but then led a, uh, a game-winning drive that led to the Packers beating a really good Eagles team, and, and that helped him in part believe in the Packers. I think that if you have Rick Meyer and some disaster in the Packers or you have San Francisco offering a million less, I don't think the money made that big of a difference for Reggie. Sure. So if you don't have if you have Rick Meyer flaming out and you don't have Reggie White, obviously that whole 90s dynasty is gone. The Seattle Seahawks are no longer relevant cuz they don't have Mike Holmgren to rescue them anymore. But the big thing for me is how does that jeopardize the Lambeau Field renovation in 2003? If you would have had the 1992 Lambeau Field in 2003 or 2005 or 2010 or in 2015, it's not impossible for the NFL to take charge and get the Packers out of Green Bay. We like to talk about the stock sale and how they're owned by the community, and that's true to a point, but they're has to be some bylaws in there and with the board of directors where the NFL could seize control there's one of two things they could do they could either kick the Packers out of the league and they become worthless and just have an expansion team replace them or they I'm sure there's a way that they could seize power from the Packers and move them especially if you have the 1993 Lambeau Field existing in the modern NFL I think that would be unacceptable and I'm not saying that would happen but if you had Rick Meyer you had none of the 90s boom and basically the Packers had been utter trash since 1968 30 years yeah yeah I mean almost 50 years at that yeah. point 
I don't think it's that hard for the NFL to say, okay, this is nice, but we've had enough. There's no charm to the Packers if they don't have the Brett Favre renaissance years and the NFL steps in and says, you know what, we're done with this experiment. That's the dire, dire thing, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Sure. And that's the interesting thing about these what-ifs is, you know, one small decision, which ended up obviously being a colossal decision, but just, you know, a couple of guys sitting around in a boardroom and deciding, you know, hey, let's just throw a draft pick and, and get Brett Favre <laughs> over here. Yeah. Since Rick Meyer's not coming out. Or Rick Meyer deciding to come back another year could have completely ruined a whole franchise. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about the ramifications that what the time it seemed like, you know, s- somewhat small decisions and, you know, mm-hmm. things that are happening now as we watch sports that could completely alter an entire franchise, an entire fan base, just on one small thing. Yeah, you wonder what alternate timelines we're missing out it's, on. It's when, endless. It's yeah. almost like it can make your brain explode thinking about all these small things that, you know, completely changed franchises and things. Well, we like to explode brains here on Green and right. Go Forever. <laughs> so the other one I want to talk about is that same day when they talked about trading for Brett Favre, there was also talk that they had conversations about trading for Steve Young. They would have had to give up a first-round draft choice, probably a second- or third-round draft choice, and then an additional later-round choice, and then they could have gotten Steve Young. The reason the kibosh was put on it is because Mike Holmgren didn't want what he thought was an old player. Steve Young was only 30 years old at the time, but for whatever reason, let's say that the Favre thing falls through and they do execute a trade to get Steve Young. How does that change the Packers? Well, I think that reality is probably a little bit more similar. You hate to lose those extra draft picks, and I don't have who they got in front of me for who they would have shipped out of town if, you know, missing out on those picks. That would probably hurt a little bit, but. Yeah, I don't think it was any, it wasn't like they missed on, you know, Antonio Freeman or something. Right. Um, but one thing would have been, you know, he comes in and probably, it, uh, man, that's such a tough call too, because he comes in, he would have Sterling Sharp, so he comes in with a pretty <laughs> yeah. good receiving core. Um, I think he probably comes in as maybe even a little bit more consistent than, than Brett was at first. But the man, that's really hard because I think Brett's personality and playing style fit what we had a little bit better than what Steve Young did. But you know, he was one of the most efficient quarterbacks of all time. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I still kind of like their chances. That sort of removes San Francisco out of the the way. Not that they really stood in front of him until '98. But yeah. uh, you know, I would like to think that you know if they still had the exact same team they had in '96 with Steve Young, I still think they're well better than than Carolina or New England. Mm-hmm. So I, I would think that that season might end pretty similar. So I, I would say that they maybe still win a championship. Yeah, and you got to think they would have had some extra opportunities with San Francisco no longer in the picture. Yeah. Because they would have had a limited Joe Montana, or they would have had Steve Bono, or somebody like that quarterbacking those really good 92, 93, and 94, and 95 49er teams. So that would be an interesting thing. Yeah, the personality thing is a good point. You, you wonder what would have happened with Steve Young if there wasn't success. You know, Brett being kind of a country bumpkin fits in Green Bay, if you've ever been there. And Steve Young is like an intellectual from you know, the West Coast. Um, so it's it would have been interesting to see how that would have worked out. And he had had some some rocky times in Tampa Bay, too. So yeah. I think the crowd was most familiar with him being the bad Bucks quarterback. And I wonder if they would have turned on him faster than they would have turned on Brett Favre. Sure. But he also probably wouldn't. He, he would have started better. I think stepping right in with Sterling Sharp, being with Mike Holmgren, seamlessly going from having Holmgren here to Holmgren there, yeah. mm-hmm. they wouldn't have had a running game. They wouldn't have had the great defense that he always had in San Francisco. But I, I don't see how he couldn't have at least replicated what the Packers did at least through 1997. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that uh, you know things go different, but probably just as good. I, th- I think with him at the helm, he threw a lot less picks. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he also was the the king of the. You know, before there was Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers, there was Steve Young for guys yep. who quietly never played very well in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Brett Favre in some of those cold games at Lambeau Field was never necessarily a world beater either. He just got did enough to get the job done. Right. So, yeah, that would be interesting. I think then probably, I don't know, Matt Hasselbeck becomes the quarterback for a decade <laughs> after 1998. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> So uh, what what happens to Favre then? Does he just flame out as the third string quarterback for Atlanta? Yeah, probably gets a shot eventually and throws a couple picks and never sees the field that much. <laughs> yeah, 
gets cleared out with the when Jerry Glanville gets fired or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's not like they had a, ever had much of a great offense there until '98. They had a decent, I guess. Maybe he's there instead of Chris Chandler at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then but then he's just a, expendable because the whole offense was built around the running game. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting stuff to think about. If uh, you have any thoughts on that, listeners, you can post it on the Green and Gold Forever Podcast Facebook page. You can also tweet at us at Green Gold Forever or send us an email, Green and Gold Forever Podcast at gmail.com and uh, share us your thoughts and we can share those on the show. So real quick, Matt, I had a job fair today and then I traveled into the future to record this week's KZ radio spot. So my voice is kind of running out here. So we'll try to do our best week four picks as quickly and as thoroughly as possible. Sounds good. Let's start with Baltimore at Pittsburgh, and it sounds well. It's going to be Michael Vick because Ben Roethlisberger somehow avoided destroying his knee on what looked terrible. That guy is—he gets hurt a lot, but he also seems to avoid the major colossal injury. It's very strange. But what do you think is going to happen with Baltimore traveling to Pittsburgh? This is a tough one. I, I hate to keep picking Baltimore because they keep blowing it. And I think, although I don't trust Vic at all to play decent, the, the run game is still good and the defense has been good enough for Pittsburgh that I, I'm still tempted to pick them at home. But I, I think Baltimore gets off the, the winless streak here. And I, I just don't think Vic can produce much offense, even with some pretty good surrounding pieces. I, I guess I'll take Baltimore to win one finally. Yeah, I'm going to agree. They're, I think they're better than 0-4 and they beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh at close to their peak in the playoffs last year, so I, I think True. they can do that with, with Michael Vick. By the way, we were disastrous on picks in Week 2, but last week we both went 14-2. and two, So awesome. big rebound week for, yep. yeah, for Green and Gold Forever. We're back in the green. The Jets traveling to Miami, or no, they're Jets versus Miami in London. It's the super early, what, 8.30 kickoff game. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, the Dolphins just look brutal right now. My pick... Speak. We were just bragging about picks, and I picked the Dolphins to go to the AFC Championship game, so I guess I have to retract that. <laughs> but sheesh. in London, I don't know. The Jets didn't look that good either. I guess Miami's do. I'll just pick the Dolphins against. Yeah, Italy. same here. I, I think they both have pretty darn good defenses, and I, I maybe like what they've got a little bit better on offense. So I, I think they'll sneak one out. Yeah, the Giants at Buffalo. Uh, I'll let you go first here. Intriguing matchup. Yeah, it should be a good one. I'll, I'll take the Bills at home. I I don't know. I, I think that that defense might terrorize Eli a little bit here. I, they've looked pretty good for, for two of the three weeks of the year, so I think they'll win this one. Yeah, the Buffalo Bills are really shaping up to be a better version of the best Rex Ryan Jets teams yeah. in 09 and 10. I think Tyrod Taylor is an upgrade over Mark Sanchez. Uh, that defense might not be quite as good, but they still have some. A lot potential. more offensive weapons than those Jets ever had. Yeah, that that's definitely true. So I'll take Buffalo here. Carolina at Tampa Bay. I have picked against Tampa Bay twice in a, a pick'em league as kind of my lock of the week, and uh, they almost beat Houston again. So I don't know what to expect from that team. Carolina, every time I think they're good, they're not that good. So I still think they can beat Tampa, but maybe them and Atlanta are two of the least uh, scary 3-0 and teams I've ever seen. So who are you picking? Carolina. Carolina, okay. I'm going to pick Tampa at home in the upset here, which I'm surprised because I think Tampa's terrible, but they get Mike <laughs> Evans back. He looked pretty good last week, um, seeing his first action of the year. And I, that Carolina offense is just so stagnant that I think if they, if Tampa can just hit a couple of deep shots to Evans, maybe that might be enough. I, yeah. And I'm not sure if Keekley's going to be playing yet. It sounds like he passed some protocol, which might be a difference maker, but it just seems like an upset game. I don't think Carolina's as good as 3-0, mm-hmm. so I, I think I'll pick the Bucks here at home. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted, but I guess I'm, too afraid to deal with Tampa right yeah, now. Yeah, they're hard to trust. Least. Yeah. Oakland at Chicago. Ah, man. I don't know. Maybe the Bears somehow are feeling somewhat better about themselves after not getting beat 100-0 in Seattle. <laughs> I don't know. The yeah, rate... They hung in there for a little bit. They did. Yeah, it was 6 nothing at halftime. Oakland, I remarked last week where it seems like they never went in the, in the Eastern time zone. It was their first time they've done so in like an early game, I think since 2009 so i don't know if that that was the worst way to read a stat ever but basically it's been a long time since they got a win like they got on sunday i don't think they're going to go back to back for some reason i'm going to take the bears 
I could see that, and I think I would be on board with you if I didn't just see that they traded away <laughs> like Jared Allen and uh, oh, one I of their best that, linebackers. Yeah. It just kind of seems like they're just throwing in the towel already, and that's got to have an effect on a team too. You you just know that your team's kind of calling it in already, and Derek Carr's looked pretty good, and Amari, Amari Cooper's looking really good. I think they've got enough offensively to get the job done. Yeah, uh, you make a good point. I'll stick with Chicago. We'll just keep it interesting. Kansas City at Cincinnati. I think Kansas City's a good team, but they're getting some really tough matchups, having to play Denver, then Green Bay, now at Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati looks like, I don't think they're really a threat to New England, but they're about the closest thing right now. Again, they always are hot in September and then kind of wither as the season goes by, but I'll uh, pick them to stay hot. Yeah, I think I I probably would have picked Kansas City before seeing what I saw last night. I don't see how that secondary of Kansas City does anything against A.J. Green. He's just going to work them over. And Marvin Jones and um, Tyler Eifert and and A.J. or um, Andy Dalton, I think, will kind of rip them to shreds Mm -hmm. here. So I'll pick the Bengals at home. Did you see that Tyler Eifert touchdown that was called back from the catch rule again? I don't think so. Okay, he was kind of fumbling with it and reached out over the goal line and it was a long play, but it was the whole continuous process. Didn't make a football move. He reached the ball out over the goal line, and that was considering not a football move. So, gotcha. It, I think it was worse than the Des Bryant one. It obviously didn't matter, and it was week three. But that's yeah, it, a weird call. I, I don't understand. It's determining what a catch should be seems like it's the easiest thing ever, and it, they make it way more complicated. Right. Yeah. Houston at Atlanta, another team that. You know, Atlanta's starting to get a little bit scary. That De- uh, Devontae Freeman looked really good on, on Sunday. Yeah, he did. I, I don't know what to think of the Falcons, but maybe thinking of like a 99 Rams, like certainly not as talented as that, but a bad team that slowly starts getting confidence can will itself to become a good team. Yeah, and, and this is kind of why I picked Atlanta to go 10-6 and and win that division, is I, I don't think they're a great team, and I don't think they will be, but they're good enough and consistent enough to win in a kind of a weak NFC now and, a, and definitely a weak division so I, they see more of the same this week it seems like they're just knocking out these teams like Houston who they get again here I don't see how uh, Houston's offense puts up enough to keep up with what they've been doing so far Julio's been insane mm-hmm. yeah I'm gonna agree I'll take Atlanta uh, you, you got to be careful what you wish for but wouldn't you love to see Atlanta get the two seed and the Packers the one seed and Atlanta tear somebody up and then we can play them in the NFC championship game yeah if that's who you get in the NFC championship game I'm gonna be happy going <laughs> into that game yeah me too uh, Jacksonville at Indianapolis, a battle between two really bad teams. Uh, I think the Colts will win, but yikes. I think everybody's backtracking on thinking this team is any threat at all to the leaders of the AFC. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to pick the Colts, too. At least they're at home, and Jacksonville probably has a shot here, but I think Colts going to turn it on in the second half to come back there last week, and I, I don't know. I, I can't see Luck getting bashed all week long here and then playing a bad defense and not doing anything about it, so mm-hmm. I, I think they'll win this one. Yeah, I texted you this yesterday. My favorite stat of the week is that Andrew Luck has reached 50 interceptions for his career, and Aaron Rodgers is at 57 despite playing four more seasons, <laughs> and that's just insane. Luck's got a chance at uh, running down Brett Favre's, what, 325 or whatever for interceptions. Philadelphia at Washington. Uh, yikes. Yeah. Um, I, I'll pick the Eagles, I guess. They they looked a, looked a little bit better offensively <laughs> last week. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't trust Washington yet here. It looks like they got, I forget that guy's name, that uh, younger running back uh, who's been playing pretty well. Yeah, but, I can't remember his name either. Uh, but Sproles played well last week. The offense got moving a little bit. I, I guess I'll take the Eagles. I don't like them, but I, I think Washington's pretty bad. Uh, Matt Jones? Is that Matt who we're thinking? Yeah. Yep. Oh, well, it's a very memorable name. How could we have forgotten yeah. it? Cleveland at San Diego. Uh, San Diego, I, I was texting you on Sunday. It feels like their offense just vanished about December of last year, and they can't quite get their mojo back. I think they'll be fine against Cleveland at home, but yikes, that's a team that's... I don't think I picked them to necessarily be that good, but I didn't think they would be this inept so far this year. Yeah, I, I definitely overestimated them so far. Anything can change here, and you've got to... You know, if this was at Cleveland, I'd pick, probably pick the Browns, but... Mm-hmm. It's uh, it might be a tight one. I think if Manziel was playing to get a little magic, maybe the Browns could do it. But I don't know. I I just can't believe that this Chargers offense is going to be this bad the whole rest of the year. So I'll stick with them for now until they keep doing this over and over again to me. Yeah, and it's interesting to see Melvin Gordon because you can still see that he has the vision that he's always had, but it's just adjusting to the NFL that 
these guys are way faster than I expected them to be. Well, and when you're getting, you know, hit two yards in the backfield every single time you touch the ball, it's hard to really get much going. I feel pretty bad for him right now. I, I think he can still be a good NFL running back, but when the holes aren't there, they're just not there. Yeah, I, I don't mean to say that I think he's bad or anything, but there were a couple of runs he had in the Minnesota game that were nine-yard gains that would have been 70-yard touchdowns yeah. in at Wisconsin. True. And he got stuffed in at the line of scrimmage quite a bit at Wisconsin, too, so I don't think there's that much to be alarmed in that category. But he'll figure it out, I think. The Vikings traveling to Denver in kind of a weird game. Um, the Vikings are another team that people are excited about and seem to think are good, and I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, I'm not sold yet either, especially on that defense. I I don't know. Bridgewater's okay, and AP will probably put up some yards, but I, that Denver defense is really good. Mm-hmm. And it, their offense is good enough that they're going to put up some points. So I think in this matchup, I like Denver still. Yeah, and Peyton Manning, even is in his depleted state right now, he still forces you to be pretty perfect because he's not going to make a bunch of boneheaded mistakes most mm-hmm. of the time. So I'll, I'll take Denver at home as well. Teddy Bridgewater right now, and he's got his 68% completion percentage or 67.6. So that's, you know, his... his his bre- yeah, his bread and butter. It's for 6.8 yards per attempt, one touchdown, two picks. <laughs> Gross. So, yuck. <laughs> 80 quarterback rating. But that's the future. you got to complete all the passes. That's right. 100% one-yard passes. St. Louis at Arizona. This one's easy. The, the Rams, I don't think, are very good. And Arizona is cruising right now. This is another team that's scary because they're going to gain a ton of confidence destroying bad teams, and they'll be 4-0. Yeah, the, the Rams have been pretty disappointing. This could definitely seem like a trap game. You're you're on fire. You're killing everybody, and you're at home against a team that uh, Rams are one and two, I think, right? And if other than one game, have looked pretty bad. Yeah, and they kicked a field goal, I think, down nine to three, on like a fourth down. I don't know. It's, it was enough to make Marty Schottenheimer accuse uh, Jeff Fisher of being way too conservative. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I'm tempted to pick an upset here, but Arizona's just been way too darn good. I, I don't think I can pick against them, especially at home. Yeah, the Rams have 823 yards of offense so far this year. It's not much. No, that's the Packers almost got half or got more than half that much last night. Dallas at New Orleans, a game that NBC is very, very upset to have to televise. Yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, you're, you've got backup quarterbacks, uh, obviously for Dallas, but I think Breeze is out a couple more weeks, right? So yeah, he's day to day. So he got some. I think he met with Dr. James Andrews yesterday, and it wasn't quite as bad as they feared. But he, they don't know his status yet. So I mean, this one could go completely either way. But Dallas definitely has the better surrounding pieces. The defense is a lot better than New Orleans. The offensive line's a lot better. Running game's a lot better. So I guess just based on that, I, I think I'll take them. Yeah, I'll I'll pick Dallas as well. It's one of the weaknesses of having to pick so far ahead of the games because if Drew Brees plays, then I could definitely yeah, see I'd them winning. Six, yeah. yeah. Can we make a contingent pick that we're allowed to change our votes to the Saints if Drew Brees plays? No, we can't. Okay. We can't do it. Uh, it's in the bylaws, huh? Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right, Detroit at Seattle. So this probably looks like a better game uh, in, in the offseason yeah. as well. But, yeah, Detroit doesn't look good. Well, at least we can get our fill from noon to seven o'clock on Sunday, and then just call it quits for these last two yeah. games. Well, this but is this is the Monday night game. For, I, I mean, for the rest of the week. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Either, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take Seattle. Detroit's been a mess so far. Their offense isn't even any good. It's weird. They're uh, they're pretty bad. I think they'll probably end up right along with Chicago around like five wins this year at the bottom of our division. So I'll, I'll take Seattle to bounce back and probably get another dominating win against the bad NFC North team. Yeah, but it's going to be another slow blowout. It, it'll be like 21 to nothing or 27 to three, a very unimpressive game where Seattle just overwhelms somebody. They're like lava. So they're, they're <laughs> destroying it, but it's a super slow destruction. Um, and then the Packers going to San Francisco to play the 49ers and this game scares me, I think, just because of the matchup, but uh, I don't know. The, the the 49ers are so bad right now. Yeah, Kaepernick looks awful. And there's already, like, talk today after his terrible game yesterday with those two back-to-back pick sixes that they're already, like, done with him after this year, apparently. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think this is a, a blowout here. I don't think that San Francisco defense is nearly as good as it's been. Their offense is, a, is atrocious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see any way Green Bay loses this game. Yeah, weird things can happen on the road, but I agree with you. San Francisco is in complete shambles, and 
the Packers have to smell blood a little bit after what the 49ers have done to them. And you think what's going to happen to San Francisco and those are some of the worst games, especially that 2012 playoff game that was very hard to swallow. But you almost think it was worth it considering how it was enough to convince San Francisco to keep Colin Kaepernick forever and essentially destroy yeah, their own that's franchise. That's true. You basically killed him for, you know, unless they a decade. Really cut ties. I mean, you might have killed him for at least five, six years. They got to rebuild now. Yeah, so it was almost it was almost worth it having to put up with 597 yard or 79 yards or whatever. I'll pick the Packers also. I don't know if I'm quite as confident as you are, but I would again be quite surprised if they if they lost. So the Packers are. If they go to 4-0, and then they come home for games against the Rams and Chargers, then they have a bye week, then they get to play Denver. I mean, you hate to think too far down the road, and with how many quarterbacks have been dropping left and right, and with how many injuries they've already had, you, you don't want to you know, take anything for granted as far as which players you're going to have available, but... Is there anybody on the rest of the schedule before Arizona that really scares you that much? I mean, I'm sure they're going to lose some. They might lose at Carolina, and they might just drop a weird game. But this team at this point has to go at least 12-4, and four, maybe 13-3, and 14-2. Yeah. I would say more than two losses at this point. I'd be surprised because you, you, get, you got through your toughest game already against Seattle. You've, you know, Chicago isn't going to be even the challenge you thought they might because they're not going to have Cutler and they're getting rid of everybody. Detroit's look terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, a team like San Diego or Carolina, even you thought might be pretty good competition. I'm not scared of them anymore either. Yeah. Um, San Francisco looks awful. What so, about I when mean, we go got, to Minnesota and Bridgewater completes 34 of 39 passes for 97 yards? Yeah, and I, I mean that could be a game you drop maybe, but I'm not scared of that anymore. Really, the Denver and the Arizona game are really the only two you look at and say. We're definitely better than them still, but you could drop those games. So yeah. we're not really the team that drops a really, really weird one against a bad team. We'll probably lose to a good team somewhere along the line that mm-hmm. you expect to beat. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to be favored in every game, and it's hard to see them losing more than a couple. Yeah, it's. I know I, I don't want to allow myself to get too excited <laughs> because of the unknown that can come along, but I'm just trying to let myself enjoy week after week. And, you know, once it got rolling yesterday, usually I'm, I'm nervous during the games. I wasn't even nervous. I just wanted to no, see how many points they were going to score. It seemed like a preseason game for a while. <laughs> yeah, it just was so effortless. And, it, yeah, this is fun. So let's just see how far it can go, and it should keep rolling right through San Francisco, you'd think, barring something strange happening. Okay, so that wraps up another week of Green and Gold Forever. If you want to, we, we already said some of these things, but if you want to comment on the episode, go to Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can also tweet at me, at Green Gold Forever. You can hear all the archives and read some of the articles that we've written. That is on greengoldforever.podbean.com. And also this Friday, you will be able to hear the Green and Gold Forever preview on KZ Radio, which is 92.9 in Appleton, 94.3 in Green Bay, or anywhere in the world with an internet connection at mykzradio.com. Ty Collins and I will be talking about the San Francisco 49ers game, and also I'm pretty sure that right around the hour that I'm there, you will be hearing Bon Jovi, Bad English. I mean, come on. These are the best best names in the history of sounds. So for that, uh, that's Matt in Altoona, Eric in Appleton. Another fun week for the Packers, and it just keeps looking like it might get better, and that's exciting. Enjoy the games. Take care, everyone.